We've been in this series on the Sermon on the Mount, and if you got your Bibles today, we're still going to be in Matthew 5, so go to Matthew 5, and we're calling this series Red Letters. Red Letters because in a lot of Bibles, Jesus' words were in red letters, and these words that we're looking at is the longest recorded public message that Jesus gave us. And so we're going to see what Jesus has to say to us, what Jesus wants to teach us when he sat down and he gives a sermon. Many scholars call the Sermon on the Mount a manifesto for the kingdom of God. In the first week when we were talking about this, we said that we had to look at Matthew and what Matthew's trying to do here. What is Matthew trying to teach us when he's writing this book to us? What's he trying to say? And, and in Matthew's gospel, it's all about the kingdom of heaven being at hand. Like it's happening. The kingdom of heaven is happening right now. When Jesus was born on this earth, he introduced the kingdom of God to the earth and the kingdom was happening in the person of Jesus Christ. In the second week, this is two weeks ago, we looked at the portion of, the, of Jesus' sermon called the Beatitudes. And this is where he's declaring blessing into different situations. The Beatitudes are a list of virtues, but they're also just states of being where Jesus is declaring Declaring blessing to those situations. And we talked about this, that blessing doesn't necessarily mean happy because he talks about blessed are those who mourn. And you're not when you're mourning, you're not happy. What it means is congratulations to. And what that means is that because our feelings change and our circumstances change, the blessings of God on your life are not based on feelings and circumstances. And sometimes you need to say amen to that because it's just we go through hard times. We go through struggles. We go through times where there's sickness in our family difficulties, but you are still blessed by God in those situations because God is for you. Your blessings in, in terms of your relationship with God, that's, that's how you're blessed is the position that you have in him, not based on your circumstances. Therefore, we don't have to be led by our feelings. We don't have to be led by our circumstances. You live with the power of Jesus Christ inside of you, and that makes you who you are, and God's blessing will follow you wherever you go. This week, we're going to look at two sections, the, the next two sections of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, the first part is we're calling it uh, salt and light, and this is found in Matthew 5, verse 13 through 16. The second part we're going to call good audio. Good audio, and it'll make sense when we get there. And that's Matt, verses 17 through 20. I love cooking. Anybody else here a cook in your house? Like who's the cooks in the house? Yeah, cooks, cooks, cooks. All right. I love cooking. I, I make a mean stir fry. I, I just, I, I, I do some chicken burritos. It's really, really good. I, I, the, the first thing that I, I, I do when I, when I cook is I, I watch my family to see if they like it. Any other cooks do that? You know, they take that first bite and you watch and you see like, oh, are they going to be like, oh, this is the best thing I've ever tasted. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's what you want as a cook. Like, that's the reward. The reward is not like I messed up the kitchen, I made a bunch of stuff. Like, that's not the reward. The reward is when the people you love are like, oh. This is so good. You know, like that's what you want. But for me, uh, when I'm looking at them and I, and I want to see if it's good or not, what, for my wife specifically, 
I like to season my food. Do anybody else like to season their food? Like some people are like, no, I don't want seasoning in my food. I like to season my food. I want to see my wife's nose run a little bit. Like when she takes a bite out of something like that's how I like to season my food. It's all about the seasoning. It's all about doing that. Is there anything worse than bland food? Like uh, I was talking to a friend last week. He was from Northwest Florida and he was talking about how he hates avocados. Anybody else in this room hate avocados? You hate avocados. We're gonna have to talk about it later. Um, so like avocados, without avocados, we wouldn't have guacamole. And that's not a world I want to live in, right? I mean, like, it's just not a world I want to live in. Like, I, I want guacamole. Guacamole's good. It's good. And, and it turns out that my friend, had he, when he's trying avocados, he had just been eating straight avocado, like, like straight out of the fruit, like you would eat an apple or something like that. And I'm like, bro, like, put some salt on it. Like, like mix it with lime. Like, do something to it. Like, you, and, and it's going to be with a steak. It's going to be good if you just put something with it. You need some kind of seasoning. It needs a little love attached to it. You can't just eat something bland. And when Jesus is talking to his people, he's talking about how you can't live a bland life. And so this is what he says in Matthew 5 verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt lost its taste, how would its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. He tells us that you are the salt of the earth. He's, he's, he's saying that like, like we, we, we are the salt of the earth. Like we, we are the salt of the earth. And if a salt loses a saltiness, it's not, it's not good. Like it needs to be, it needs to be an active seasoning. For us, salt is just a simple seasoning. Like it's literally on every single restaurant table in the world, right? Like you go to a restaurant and you see salt just everywhere. You just see it everywhere. Before, but before refrigeration, before like things happen, salt was actually extremely valuable. It was extremely valuable and it was the only way that many people preserved food. It was the only way to do it was just to put salt all over it. And so what for, for this people that Jesus was talking to, whenever he's saying you're the salt of the earth, he's not telling them, oh, you're just an average thing that's on everybody's table. No, he's saying what you're doing, what you do as followers of me, as followers of Jesus, what you do is very, very important and will make an impact on the world. Salt was so important in the ancient world that it was used as currency and in places like China and all the way to Africa. Roman soldiers were given salt and it was called a salarium argentum. And I'm going to mispronounce that because my Latin is terrible. But that's where we get the word salary today. So when you think of like, oh, I got, you guys like getting a salary? I, I mean, I like getting a salary, uh, you know, but that comes from the word Salt. In ancient Greece, a lazy worker was said to be not worth his salt. And we still use that today. And so Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. You bring value. You bring importance. You preserve. You help. You, you, you do this when you follow me and when you're in and operating in the earth. Salt was also life-saving medicine used by the ancient Chinese. Many of Napoleon's troops, when they invaded Russia, they actually died of infection because they ran out of salt for their wounds. And so we, we see the significance today of this simple seasoning that was on every table, that's on every table everywhere. But Jesus' audience knew how significant it was. After the Beatitudes, 
When Jesus is talking about to those who are poor in spirit, to those who are meek, to those who, are, who seek righteousness, to those who are persecuted, you have the kingdom, the blessings of the kingdom to you. And now he says, now that I have your attention, you're the salt of the earth. What Jesus is saying in essence is those of you who believe in him, those who believe in him, those who choose to follow his path, your life should be different than the rest of the world. Your life shouldn't resemble the world. You should be salt. You should be seasoning to the world around you. Through the spirit of God that's alive in you, you are to be change agents in communities that in which you live to bring the kingdom of heaven wherever you go. You're the salt of the earth. Like you, you've got power living inside of you for the Holy Spirit. Jesus deeply believes that his followers will make an impact on the world. John 14, verse 12, Jesus says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. You are salt, an incredibly valuable seasoning to the world around you. Jesus continues in verse 14. You're the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people high, uh, light a lamp and put it under a basket, but put it on a stand. And it gives light to all the house. And in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father that is in heaven. We see here the invitation into the kingdom of God in the Beatitudes. So we, Jesus invites us into his kingdom, sent out to lowly marginalized people, those who are oppressed, the poor. He, he sends that out who are down and trodden. But then he says the work that's of the kingdom, the people who actually are involved or who are coming into this kingdom will make a global impact. So you might be here today and you might think, well, you don't know what I've done, pastor. You don't know that I'm really not that good. You don't know that my my lack of talent is just not where it, like my neighbors are. I don't have the funds. I don't have the resources. I don't have. And we, we kind of come up with all these excuses about how we're not good enough. Do you ever do that? I do that all the time. I do it all the time where I just feel like I'm I'm not good enough for God to use me. And Jesus starts with that feeling, those who are poor in spirit, those who are mourning, those who are who are oppressed, like those who are persecuted. He's saying blessings to you, blessings to you in those those situations. But then he says, you are here to change the world. You're going to be salt and light in a world that needs it, in a world that's dark, that's that's oppressed, that that needs it, that needs light and that needs a difference. You're going to be the people that do that. And it's all because of the spirit that's alive inside of us. You don't have to be good enough. The spirit is good enough for you. And so that, that's the invitation that we see when that we work for the kingdom. We make a global impact. Jesus will always meet you where you are. He will always meet you where you are, but he will not leave you there. He will not leave you there think, well, I've got to earn my way for Jesus to love me. I've got to do some right things to make myself like belong. But that's not how it works. Jesus meets us where we are in our sin, in our doubt, in our shame, in our weakness, in our guilt. He meets us where we are. He ministers to us there. He covers our sin, covers our shame, covers our doubt, covers our guilt. And then he draws us into work 
for his kingdom. We make a global impact because of the work that he's done in us. Light, by nature, forces darkness away. If you walk into a dark room in your house and you turn the light switch on, darkness has got to go, right? It's got to go. It has to go. Like, it can't, like light and darkness can't exist together. They don't, they don't coexist well. And so when we, when we go into places and we see darkness around us and we, we're concerned about that, we live in a world that's dark and we, we, some people complain about it, we, we have to ask ourselves, where is the light? Where's the light? Why, why is the light not here? It feels dark here. It feels dark in these places. Where's the light? Work can be done in the dark. School, or work can be dark. School can be dark. Life can be dark. But we are the light. Jesus says this in John 1 verse 5, the, or John says this, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. It's only when light leaves that darkness can return. So Jesus tells us that we are salt and Jesus tells us that we are light, we're seasoning and we're light. And, and here's the thing. The compelling, uh, a compelling idea that Jesus is talking about here in this metaphor that he's using of salt and light is both of these things are like more intense the more you put on it. So what happens is, is when I connect my light with Judas light, then guess what? Our light is more intense. When I connect my salt with Nivram salt, our, our salt is more intense. And so when we join together as believers, the impact that we make is that much greater because we're doing it together. The more salt I add to my plate, the more intense the flavor, the more lights I cut on, the brighter my house becomes. In the community, this is why it's important for us as believers to join together. Deuteronomy says it like this. How could, uh, how could one have chased a thousand but two put 10,000 to flight. The exponential impact that we make when we lock arms together, when we join hands, when we, when we do the work of Christ together is multiplied when we connect to each other in the world. You hear some people today say, oh, I don't really need church. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to worship Jesus in my own way. What they don't understand is that the connection that we have with each other, with other believers, magnifies our impact. It magnifies our impact. So it's important for us to have a community like this, like church, like uh, Bible studies or small groups that you're connected to. It's important for us to do that because the impact of our salt and our light mean, goes that much further, makes that much more impact when we join together. If we stop for a second and look at the structure of Jesus talk to us. We remember in week one that we said that context is really important. And, you know, if you study the Bible, that chapters and verses weren't added until like the mid to late 1500s. And in 1000, that's 1500 AD. So this is like hundreds of years ago, but 1,500 years, the Bible was almost in existence before, uh, before we get chapters and verses. And so when we look at this, when we look at Jesus's uh, talk to us in our Bibles, this is broken down really neatly into these verses, but he was just kind of talking through the whole thing. Like he was just talking through this. This was his message. He was just rattling this off. Jesus isn't jumping from topic to topic. This is one talk. He's building building a case for the kingdom of God. And so 
when he starts to talk about the marginalized people in the Beatitudes and he invites them in, then he gives us this pec talk of salt and light. And then he says this in, in verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, that's a really, uh, and when I grew up in the South, we used the word iota. I have no iota what that means. You know, it's just like an idea, or an idea, like a small element, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until it's accomplished. So Jesus talks about the, you know, he, he brings blessing to these people who are outsiders. He, he calls them in. He says the kingdom of God is for them. He talks about salt. He talks about light. And then he talks about this law and the prophets system. Jesus is saying, I'm not really here to bring a revolution, to overthrow or replace an established thing that's happening. I'm here to bring revelation. I'm here to reveal what God is doing in, in, in this and through this. The world is not how you thought. Jesus didn't come to destroy the old way. That's really good for us because we can look at the Old Testament. We can look through Genesis through Malachi and we can say, what does it have to teach us? And there's a lot that it has to teach us and a lot that it can help us have a deeper, more beneficial, more mature relationship with Jesus when we read the Old Testament. So Jesus is saying, hey, I'm not coming to just throw all this old stuff away. I'm come to fulfill it. I've come to accomplish it. I've come to, 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 to make it complete. And so what we see when we see the law and we see these things, Jesus didn't come to toss it aside. He came to accomplish it. What's your old system? Is it that you have to do all the right things and say all the right things and somehow hopes that it gets you ahead in life, somehow hopes that it brings you favor with God? See, Jesus accomplishes perfection that you and I, we, we can never even reach. And then he offers his perfection to us when we follow him. It's not about what you've done. It's about what he's done for you. I'm going to say that again. It's not about what you've done. It's about what he's done for you. For you. And so he says, I didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets. I didn't come to, to put away this old like right and wrong system. I came to fulfill them. The fulfillment of the law, the fulfillment of doing right and wrong all happens in the person of Jesus. It's not about what we do. It's about what he's done to us or for us. But grace, what the, the, the problem with that could happen with this is that we're all still sinful. How many of you guys would say I messed up sometime this week? How many of you guys would say I messed up sometime today already? Like I've already, I've already messed it up today. I'm, today's, today's done. I can't do it again. You know, like we, we've already done that. And some, some of you guys are pointing at your spouse. <laughs> Sorry, like it, it happens, right? We mess up. We fail. We do these things. But Jesus gives us his perfection. Jesus gives us his perfection. And that's the perfection that we live under. Now, we're still sinful, though. We're still sinful. And so there's an idea that happened very early on in the church where people thought, well, since, uh, since Jesus forgives me, then I could just keep sinning. I could just keep doing whatever I want. But Jesus didn't come. He's like, I didn't come to like, get rid of the rules. I came to fulfill them. I didn't come to say, you know, you don't have to follow the rules anymore. Just do whatever you want to do. Do whatever you feel like. I came to fulfill all of that. And so grace can be cheapened 
by a sinful heart. We shouldn't take advantage of Jesus' forgiveness of our sins and use it as an excuse to keep sinning. I have a friend who um, was going through some things in their marriage, and, and he told me that he, he, he thought his wife trusts him, and because his wife trusts him, he can like spend time alone with other females and stuff like that. And I was just like, like that doesn't make any sense. Like you're instead of when she tr- you're saying she trusts you, but then you're using it as a license to do whatever you want to do. That doesn't make any sense. Like, well, who does that? But so many Christians do that. They're like, well, Jesus has forgiven me so I can live however I want. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying you can't just do whatever you want because you've been forgiven. The fulfillment of the law is in him. And so uh, like like in a healthy marriage, trust simply gives more trust. If you find if I find myself in an awkward situation with like another female, my my spouse trusts me that I'll handle it right. But I'm not looking for awkward situations like I'm, I'm not looking for that. So when we're talking about sin, we can't just be looking for sin because we know Jesus is going to forgive us. We should run from sin. We should turn from sin. But because we know that Jesus is going to forgive, Jesus forgives us. Like we're, we're not looking for awkward situations. We want Jesus to forgive us. So when we look at Jesus as the fulfillment of the law, we must look at it through the same lens of healthy relationships. Romans 6, verse 1 and 2. What should we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? By no means. We all, how can we, how can we who died to sin still live in it? So Jesus continues in verse 19 of Matthew 5. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. So if I relax a commandment and I teach others to do the same, hey, it's okay if you cheat, it's okay if you steal, it's okay if you lie, it's okay, you know, because God will forgive you. If I relax it, I will be least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Who are the scribes and the Pharisees that Jesus is talking about? Obviously, Jesus, his audience who was listening to him, know who these people are, but we, some of us, we might not, right? You might not know who is scribes and Pharisees. Scribes had the task, this is a group of people who had the task of copying by hand the sacred scriptures. So they would literally copy word for word by hand on pieces of paper the sacred scriptures. And because of that, they had to study them. They had to know them. They had to learn them. They were the ones who had to read line by line by line by line, and they had to know them. And so Jesus is saying these people, they know the Bible. They know it, but our righteousness has to exceed those. Pharisees, they were teachers of the law. All Pharisees were scribes. They all made copies of it, but not all scribes are Pharisees. So the, 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 the people who made the copies, sometimes they were Pharisees, sometimes they weren't. Pharisees were a religious sect of leaders who had committed themselves to purity and to following the law. They were also known for their pride and looking down on others who could not be as religious or pure as they were. Do you know anyone like that? Who looked down on other people because they're not as religious or 
or pure as they are. The Pharisees, uh, as children, when they were very young, they memorized the Torah. What is that? That is Genesis through Deuteronomy in your Bible. They memorized it word for word. They knew it. And so there's these people that copy the scriptures, that write it down, that go through line by line. There's these people who have memorized it. And what Jesus is saying here is, I want you to think of the most religious people you can think about. Like we all have somebody, you all know somebody that's just like super religious. Like who's the most religious person you can think about? The most God-fearing person you know. And if you can't be more righteous than them, you can't eat into the kingdom of heaven. Whoa, what does that mean? Like I can't enter the kingdom of heaven. I can't be more righteous than the most righteous person I know. So let's recap what Jesus is saying. He opens with the Beatitudes and he invites the broken. He says, you're going to change the world. He says, I'm not here to bring a a revolution. I'm here to bring revelation about the law. And then he says, you're not good enough to ever get there. Wait, what? That kind of lets the air out of the balloon. But that's not really what Jesus is saying. One of the greatest critiques that Jesus had of the Pharisees was their pride in their own religion. He says this in in Matthew chapter 23, verse 27. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones of all uncleanliness. But you are also outwardly appear righteousness, but within you is full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. If our religion becomes prideful, then we've lost the plot. If it becomes about what I do, if it becomes about me being able to do, say, act the right way, if it becomes about my performance, then I am, I, I can't get there. I'm not going to get there. I'm not going to be more perfect than the most perfect that a human could be. It's just not possible. The only way that our righteousness could exceed that of those people is that we take on someone else's righteousness. We take on the righteousness of Jesus. And so because of that, me as a Christian, what I have to do is I have to stay humble. I have to stay reliant on God. I have to have relationship with Jesus. I have to know that it's about what he did. It's not about what I did. I have to make it all about Jesus because if it's all about Jesus, then this whole thing works. But if your religion becomes you doing the right things and you saying the right things and you acting the right way and you following all the steps A to Z and doing the right and it's all about you, you're never going to get there. And so many people, they live in that state. They live in that state of, man, it's all about my performance and about what I do and about how I say it and about how I act and all this stuff. And and Jesus is like, hey, guys, you're you're just not going to get there. And so we have this like kind of like spectrum where Jesus says, hey, I didn't come to abolish the law. You still got to follow the law. I'm I'm telling you, don't stop teaching the law. You still got to obey it, do all these things. So he's telling us to obey it. But then he's saying, hey, it's it's you're never going to get there on your own. So it's almost like there's, there's this road that we're on and there are ditches on both sides of the road that we could fall into. Well, we could fall into one side of saying that, hey, it's, you know, my life is not consistent with what I say I believe. But on the other side, we can fall into the thing if we get it perfect and say, hey, I'm it's all about what I do. It's about what I say. It's about how I got here. And so Jesus is saying on both sides, you can't be like that. You can't be like that. So but we have to live a life that's consistent. I have right here uh, this thing. Anybody ever seen one of these before? This is called a clapboard. And what it is, is um, 
You've seen it on film and television, but you might not know what how they actually use it and what it's actually there for. It's very, very important when when you're recording um, like high end audio and video stuff. Uh, what you do is you actually record on two separate devices. So the camera is recording, but then there's a separate device that's recording the audio. And so what you have to do when you when the director captures it, everything and he, he gets the best audio and he gets the best visuals, what he has to do in, in software is he has to put the two back together. He has to put the two things that don't seem to belong, he has to put them together into one thing. And so what they do is they use this thing, and so they'll, they'll show it, and at the very beginning, I'll just do this right here, they'll do that. And what it does is when they're putting the audio back together, it shows visually to the person who's doing it where everything syncs up, where everything comes together, where, where everything matches up. They'll say sound rolling, camera rolling, so sounds recording, cameras recording, and then they'll do the clapboard, and then they'll say action. You don't start until this thing syncs everything up. And I think for, for like really low quality movies, you've, you've probably seen this, or maybe like the, the old kung fu movies in the 60s, where, um, where uh, this wasn't necessarily done, or they overdubbed the audio or whatever. It, it delivers like a different product. You guys have seen those where, where like the audio, the words, like you hear someone's talking, but the, the, the audio is different. Like it's coming from a different thing. Like it just doesn't make any sense. And so when Jesus is, is talking about how we're salt and we're light, I, I think that part of the problem that you and I could have is that sometimes our, our, our words don't get synced up with what we say we believe. Now, it's not about you being perfect. Again, you can't, you're never going to get there. You're never going to get there if it's all about that. But for us, the, the, the concern that we have is that if we're salt, we're meant to be salt, we're meant to be light. It's not a coincidence that Jesus talks about these things, expecting that his followers would be change agents, and then immediately follows with a teaching about holiness. What is holiness? Holiness is living the right way. He didn't come to abolish the law. He didn't come to do that. But we have to be holy. Every one of our scenes in life must start with a clapboard. Does our actions line up with the words that we're saying? We, where, where we submit our lives to the authority of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit so that our thoughts and our actions and our words and our deeds, they're all aligned with him. How, how, how are we going to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees? You're not going to. But the second Corinthians five says this, he who for, for our sake, he made him who to be sin, who knew no sin so that in him we might become his righteousness. It's only in Jesus that all of this is accomplished. We can submit to his will, to his lordship, but only through Jesus is all of this accomplished. So again, how do we line up what we're saying, what we're doing so that we can make an impact in the world? It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. We are justified through his work 
And when we obey him and follow him and we don't pick and choose like, well, okay, here's the part of Jesus I like. Here's the part of Jesus I disagree with. We don't do that. When we obey and follow him and we make our life line up to him like a clapboard, Jesus, I'm going to line up to what you're saying. I'm going to do what you say to do. I'm going to do this. It's not because of me. It's still because of you. But when I do that, then I can make an impact on the world. The worst thing we could do is live in hypocrisy. That was the challenge that Jesus gave to the Pharisees of like, hey, guys, you say one thing, but your life doesn't line up. So the challenge for us is that we have to live a life that lines up with Jesus's teaching, but know that it's not our power that gets us there. If you're here today and you're like, man, there's part of like this religion, this walk, living out my Christian life. There's part of this that I've, I've figured out. Like I know how to do it on my own. Some of you guys, like it's a struggle. Like let's just take a really kind of innocuous thing, like, like cussing, right? Some of you guys, it's a struggle not to do that throughout the day. Like you, you like you're like white knuckling through your day to go through it and not say a, a dirty word, right? And, and some of you are like, man, I don't even think like that. Like that word doesn't even cross my mind. Like I'm just naturally good enough to not do this. Like some of you guys are like, I, I don't, that never, that never even occurs to me. But the thing is, is like we have to look at our lives and we have to be like, hey, I know that some of this I can do on my own strength. But because I can do some of it on my own strength, I have to realize that I can't do all of it on my own strength. And so it doesn't matter if you're, little bit saved or a whole lot of saved, you still need Jesus leading you, guiding you, directing you, pulling you out of darkness and into light so that you can be a light for the world around you. That is what Jesus is telling us when he tells us that we are salt and light. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. Jesus, I thank you for dying on the cross for our sins, God, for paying the, the price uh, that we can never pay, for giving us your righteousness, for becoming sin for us so that we might be perfect like you. But Father, we, we don't take advantage of this grace that you, you've given. Lord, we want to live a life that's consistent with what we believe. We want to live a life that syncs up with what we believe. So, Spirit, we ask for you to empower us, to encourage us. Pray that when we step out of line, you would quickly convict us and bring us back into where we need to be. Lord, we want to be salt and light. God, I know we're not good enough on our own. We're not strong enough on our own. We're not righteous enough on our own or holy enough on our own. We need you, Jesus. So God, I pray in Jesus' name that you would empower us to be agents of change in a world that is dark, in a world that is dry, in a world that is broken. Empower us in Jesus' name to bring your kingdom wherever we go. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you.